The average person will spend one-fifth of their life speaking. That's a lot of time. If you live to be 80, that's 16 years straight of speaking. Now, some of you, uh, you're 35, and you've already covered those uh, 16 years, 15 years, because you love to talk, and you're, you're going to blow the curve for the rest of us, so good on you. Others of you, you might be like, Mark, I won't even talk five years. Uh, you know, I just don't do that. Regardless, we spend a lot of our time communicating. Can everybody agree? It's just, it's just the human condition. We talk with each other, to each other, about each other. It, it's what we do. It used to be just face-to-face for years and years and years, but then we figured out the whole smoke signal thing, and so that kind of advanced stuff. Uh, we, uh, we got the post office going for us. So we could write letters. But in the day that we live in, uh, there are so many ways that you can communicate uh, with each other. There's hand signals in traffic, right? Those are great. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, uh, there's, in, your, in your pockets, most of you have more computing power than was thought possible 40, 50 years ago. And you can send emails and texts. You can go on social media and post things on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I wish they would take Twitter away from politicians personally. Anybody with me on that? Uh, but uh, but you, there's all these different ways that you can let people know what you're thinking. In fact, I, I have a Facebook profile. Uh, I have, you know, a couple thousand friends now. Yay, good on me. But uh, um, I, I don't really post to that, and I don't understand how it works. When I write things on Facebook, apparently they go to everybody. Is that how that works? Like, if you've got a friend, they're going to find out what you just thought. And uh, there's some of you, maybe you should think before you post on Facebook more often. Uh, from the trivial, like, I'm glad you had strawberry shortcake for dessert. I don't need to know that. Thank you very much. But, uh, uh, but then there's, there's, there's some things that I'm like, wow, really? You wanted the, the Internet to know that, huh? Okay. All kinds of ways uh, to communicate. And communication, I think, in our culture is, is kind of in a nosedive. I mean, even this, this, this latest campaign has kind of proven that to me. Uh, the rhetoric, the words that we've uh, chosen, uh, candidates have chosen to use about each other and in reference to each other. Uh, uh, I, I watch the, you know, the, the debates, the primaries, the presidential debates, and almost every time I watched one of those, I felt like I needed to get clean. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I need to go wash after watching this stuff. And you, I'm, I'm not political, super, I, I vote. Uh, but uh, I, I do think politically things are uh, changing when it comes to words. It actually says so right here in the Tampa Bay Times. This is a newspaper. Does anybody remember these? These, these are uh, former communication tools in our culture. And I, uh, I read one every Sunday morning before I come to church. And uh, on page four of the front page section, uh, the headline in the very bottom part of the page is, Civility Norm Could Be Permanently Damaged. It's talking about the civility of our culture. Uh, as, as things go in politics, things go in our culture a lot of times. And because the doors have been opened for the rhetoric and the anger and the hatred and the, and the nastiness, uh, uh, scholars are predicting that uh, we're going to just take a nosedive in the ways that we communicate with each other. Um, even, the, even the tones in which you speak uh, can be misinterpreted. Has anybody ever said something and you just that's not what I meant? Have you ever done something like that where you're, like, no, that's, that's, but it's just, it's how it came across. And so uh, being careful not just with the actual words you say, but with how you say them. I mean, it, all of this is a part of communication. I was at uh, Tibby's, this new restaurant on 60 there. They're going to give it a go. Nothing ever works in that place, but I 
pray, pray you know, that they, they are the ones that make it happen. Pretty good food. Um, and went there with my wife uh, just yesterday. Uh, the, the server that was serving us came up, though, and asked us if we wanted dessert. Eleanor had told me they had these beignets, you know, the Louisiana donuts or whatever those are. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm in. I want to try these. You know, you got like a, a small order of that. And, and uh, she said, great. And then I said this. I said, you know what? Normally, uh, servers don't come and ask us about our dessert until we get our entrees. We hadn't received our entrees yet, right? And I wasn't being sassy or nasty at all. I was just kind of saying, hey, it's sunny outside. I was just kind of reporting something that I knew in my head, right? She took that as me, you know, just being so unhappy. I don't know if I, my face said that or if the, my tone said that. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's already, I can't even apologize because she's gone so fast. And then the manager comes up to me because they're a new place and they want to, you know, put a good foot forward. And he's like, sir, we are so sorry that uh, your entrees are not out yet. And, and she, he won't let me talk either because I'm like, hey, bro, no, I'm, we're fine. I mean, we're just hanging out, da, 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 da. And then he says, we're going to comp you the beignets. And I said, well, you do what you got to do. We're, you know, uh, <clears throat> no, I told him we were fine, but he's like, no, just let us do that. And then this is the, you want to hear the, the rest of the story? Uh, she went to another manager after talking to that manager. They both put orders in for beignets for us. We got double beignets for free. <laughs> I got them in my office right now if anybody wants to know. Point is this, communication matters. The things we say, how we say them, it affects our lives. It affects our culture. It affects the direction of human history. Words matter. And not just on this plane. Words matter between us and God. Look what Jesus said about our words. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, or 36 and 37, sorry. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, the justification part, uh, I'm, I'm all for uh, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose from the grave, that's what saves us. That's why when we ask people if, if they put their faith in Jesus, have they, have they prayed to him, have they spoken to him, have they confessed him with their mouths? It's what justifies us. <laughs> but in the same way, our words, Jesus says, are going to be judged. And, and, and our words can bring condemnation to us. Now, some of you are like, well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that. That's in Romans 2, Mark. Well, but wait a minute. Don't think that God's just going to skip over all the stuff that you've done and not uh, have a time where you're like uh, reminded of it. I believe there's uh, going to be this time before the ultimate judgment or before we go on to spend eternity in heaven where we're going to have the tape played back. And everything that we said and did is going to be shown. And even if our, our, uh, our faith in Christ has imputed righteousness to us and we have Heaven as uh, our eternal, uh, you know, home. We're still going to be asked of God or by God. Hey, why, why'd you say that? You know, as you were driving to church on November thirteenth, uh, and the guy, you know, pulled out in front of you at that one stoplight. Why'd you yell that right before Mark preached to you about communication? Uh, James has talked about it too in his writings here in. The first chapter, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, remember this part he was talking about, if anybody thinks that they're a good follower of Jesus Christ, if their faith is strong, if you think you're religious, he's not using religion in this place 
as a, as a derogatory or a, a demeaning term. He's, he's using it as a positive. He says, listen, if you think you're, you're knocking it out here in your life with Christ, but you, you don't bridle your tongue, you're not careful with your words, and in, in being uncareful and in being careless, you deceive your own heart, then, then you need to understand that your faith that you think is so great, it's worthless. I mean, you can, you can go to church and do all the other right things, but if you can't control it, <laughs> if you can't handle up on that, then it kind of negates all the other efforts that you're making in following Jesus. I think, I think the writers of the scriptures have to be so firm on this stuff because we've convinced ourselves that what we say doesn't matter. We've convinced ourselves it's just how I am. I'm verbal. If it goes here, it's coming out here. It's just how it is. And we make these excuses that it's okay. But the scriptures are clear. It's not. Your words are measured by the one true God. He knows what you say. He cares about what you say. And your words, even though they seem, you know, eh, they don't matter. They, they do. And they, well, we're going to see it today. They, they have power. So, I'm throwing down the gauntlet on our communication today. I'm saying to all of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ, it's time, if you haven't done this yet, to be more careful with your words. It's time to surrender all of our lives to God. And, and, and like we talk about here all the time, there's parts that we're fine with them. I think a lot of people, the thing that we keep behind our back and, and don't allow God to influence is our, our words, our communication. We get emboldened because there's a computer screen and a keyboard between us and whoever we're firing off our latest vitriol to. And we think, this doesn't matter. I'm defending the faith by being a jerk. Now, it's time. It, it's, it's time to uh, clean up the things that we say. It's time for us to uh, take account of the, the lies that we tell, the, the slander that we sling, the, the angry insults that come in the midst of arguments. It's time for us to be careful with sarcasm. That's my second language. I'm fluent, baby. And I love a good laugh. But as I've studied this week and as I've preached this twice now, uh, I know that's an area in my life that God needs uh, to have full sway. And that just because it's funny doesn't mean it's right. It's right. Uh, we need to be careful with coarse joking, bragging, taunting. My team and or candidate won. Yours didn't. These are all things that would uh, serve to divide us as a humanity and, and that certainly dishonor the God who gave us life. Instead, we need to, in place of those things, put encouragement and speak truth and love. We need to uh, bring humility and tenderness and kindness and gentleness, all those fruits of the Spirit that get lost when we speak. Those need to win the day. Those need to mark our words. I don't know what your trouble spots are. Maybe it's a bunch of those, a few of those. But all of us spend a lot of time speaking. And I'm here to say that God wants us to speak 
in ways that would honor him, glorify him, and lead to the best life that we could have with him. And may he grant us the strength to do that today. Be careful with your words. James chapter one, or 3, verse 1 says this, not many of you should uh, become teachers. James is going to couch his whole conversation on conversations in this uh, area of teaching. He says, uh, hang on if you want to go out there and be out front and tell people what to do and where to go. Uh, you should be careful about that. Uh, because you know that we who teach, James lumping himself in with that group, uh, we're going to be judged with greater strictness. Now, everybody in here is somebody's teacher. If you're a parent, uh, however many kids you have, you're teaching them. If you're a, 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 a leader at work in some form, you're probably in some authority position in that way. Many of us are life group leaders. We work with the children next door. Uh, many of us uh, you know, even serve as, as teachers and, and other uh, uh, aspects of life. If, if we're doing that, just so you know, uh, God looks more uh, intently at your words uh, because your words in those teacher roles have influence over other people. Jesus talked about this when he said in Mark chapter 9, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, if you're someone who stands out in front of people and teaches them a way that is not God's way, uh, it would be better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and for him to be thrown into the sea. Uh, when I traveled to Israel a few summers ago, I saw one of these millstones. I used to think it was like a cinder block. Maybe we could swim, maybe. No. It's like a five or 600-pound rock that they would grind their wheat with. Someone would get on a, uh, a stake that would just kind of push this wheel uh, grinding rock around. And uh, those suckers are heavy. You're, you're not coming back from the bottom if one of those is tied around your neck. The point is, um, Jesus is not looking very favorably on people who aren't careful with their words. Is everybody picking that up? It'd be better for you to, to drown uh, to not be here than for you to say things that would lead people away from me. Unfortunately, we just have to go to uh, the headlines of the last 20, 30, 40 years and see religious leaders who did this on a, uh, on a disastrous level. Guys like Jim Jones, you got to be a certain age. Uh, but guys like David Koresh, am I getting warmer? Even in our uh, current era, uh, there's people that I think... Uh, are dangerous in their message. They preach a prosperity gospel or they preach like a gospel plus. You gotta do uh, faith in Christ plus all these rules or they, they teach a, a gospel minus which says that you don't really have to have faith, you just have to look the part. There's all kinds of false teaching out there and we gotta be careful not to fall prey to it. Uh, but woe to us, heads up, if you're gonna be the one who's the purveyor of that stuff. It's not gonna go well for you in the end. Why is it so important to watch what we say? That's where James is going to take us next. He's going to give us two specific reasons. One, because words can steer us into blessing. Let's go good news. Who likes good news? Anybody like coming to church and hear some good news? Here's some great news. If you can figure this out, then the rest of your life, conforming to the likeness of Christ, goes much easier. He says as much. Look what he says. Verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. Hands in the air. Anybody in here stumble in many ways? Come on, get them up there, you hot messes, every one of you. We all stumble in many ways, okay? And if, then he says this. It's translated here in the English Standard Version, and it could be translated, but, but his point is, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, if someone out there figures this out and uses it to glorify God, guess what we could say about that guy or that woman? They're perfect, 
It's the Greek word teleos. They're complete. They've nailed it. They've arrived. And they're able also to what? To control or bridle or manage everything else in their life. You bring this sucker under control, guess what? Everything else has a tendency to follow. He goes on with some examples. He says, in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that that they obey us, um, uh, we guide their whole bodies as well. I'm not a big horseback riding guy, uh, but it's uncanny to me that you could put like an 8-year-old girl on a, you know, 1,000-pound horse, and if she yanks the reins just right, uh, that thing will go wherever it tells it to, wherever she tells it to. Because it's got this piece of metal in its face that says, oh, we're going left. Oh, we're stopping now. So... 90-pound girl, 1,000-pound horse, little piece of metal. He goes nautical on us, and he says, hey, look at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. And here's the key part, wherever the will of the pirates, I said that in all three services now, (laughs) buccaneers, I don't know, football, I don't know what's going on, but uh, wherever the captain wants wants to send the ship, the rudder is the determiner. And here's his point. You are your captain. You captain your life. And wherever you want this life to go, uh, it's going to help you get there. Either in good ways, or as we're going to see in just a second, in bad. But let's talk about the good ways. Did you know that every great movement that brought good and peace and love and harmony to the world started with someone out in front saying some things that led everybody else to say, yeah, we should do that? Like the civil rights movement? I'm on board. I think that was a good thing. And when uh, I was a freshman in college and everybody else was going to uh, the school library to check out books for their actual assignments, I just went in there and I uh, checked out uh, the, the tape series of my, uh, Martin Luther King's speeches. It's a very old statement. Tapes were these plastic things you would put into a box and they would, uh, you know, make noise. But uh, um, I got all of Martin Luther King's speeches and I just sit in my uh, dorm room and listen to them. I'm sure God used times like that, other great orators, to inspire me to do what I do now. But uh, I remember, who can't remember or doesn't recall the I Have a Dream speech? It's one of the most famous speeches in, in history. And standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial, Martin Luther King took 16 minutes to basically propel all those standing there and everybody who watched on the news at the time uh, forward in this movement that would change our culture forever. And he said, I have a dream that one day my four little children will be judged for the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. Powerful words. And over and over again, he, he, he incorporated things from our history, things that, uh, you know, revolutionary leaders, leaders during the Revolutionary War had said, uh, uh, he, he brought their words in to show that it's the same. When we fought for our independence, it's the same as uh, people of color fighting uh, for their rights. He talked about freedom ringing from the hills of New Hampshire and Pennsylvania. But then he, he, uh, he, he took a turn and he said, but I want freedom to reign on Stone Mountain in Georgia. And from every hill and mole hill, in Mississippi. And then he said this, and I'm not anywhere near, bear with me. He says, when this happens, 
and when we allowed freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I mean, come on. And off we went. And everything changed. Not perfectly. But at least the beginnings. I think about my life and, and the things that have uh, come uh, from my interactions with people that were for the good, spiritually and otherwise. You know, I love to speak on a stage like this, but some of my favorite interactions were one-on-one -on -one with people who were considering uh, going from life without Jesus to life with Jesus and just praying in those moments for God to give me the words so that this person could understand this is the meaning of life, to know God by faith in Jesus Christ and choose him. And by God's grace, I've sat knee-to-knee uh, -knee and nose-to-nose -nose with several people who, through conversations, uh, have finally chosen to follow Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things in life is to watch someone spiritually change. And God gives the words. Uh, I can tell you that with my, my own children, I've said lots of things I'd take back. Anybody want a time machine? Anybody with me? But there's some things that by God's grace, uh, I'll never forget conversations that I've had with each of my kids. I remember when Ben was graduating from high school and I took him to Chipotle because that's where I talk. I don't know about you, but uh, I sat across from the table and um, my kids know I love them, but I'm not a super emotional guy, but I, I got emotional over my chicken and steak bowl. And I, I told him how I felt about him and how much I loved him and how much I was going to miss him. And then we talked openly about manhood and how life was going to change over the next four years. You're going to be on your own. And I shared things with him that are none of your business. I love you. But uh, uh, those are the moments that I scroll back to in the life with my kids that are meaningful determiners in our direction as a family. The point is simply this, that our tongues are small, but like the pilot of a ship, they, de they determine our direction. And God wants us and to choose blessing, to surrender what we say to him so that he can lead us to the best in life. But all too often, uh, that doesn't happen. Why is it important that we watch what we say? Because uh, words can ruin a life. And James spends a lot of time talking about this. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, but yet it boasts of great things. It, it's a... It's like a, with forests, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I grew up in the 70s, so I used to watch Smokey the Bear, public service announcements, right? Only you can prevent forest fires. Remember him? Got to be a certain age again. Google it. Those of you who are too young. They were great commercials. But what was he talking about? It always shows someone who forgot to put the campfire completely out or Someone who just carelessly threw a cigarette, you know, off into some straw and all of a sudden California, you know, is gone. Uh, that's just how it works. Big fires start with small fires. 
uh, big messes in your life can start with one sentence uttered. I've worked with couples uh, sometimes for months and will rebuild and, and redeem and, and mend all the things and then in one careless moment, one of them will bring up a hurt from the past or a complaint and undo everything that has been done up to that point. It's because it only takes a spark. Yeah, he goes on and he says this. He says, uh, the tongue is a fire, a world of righteousness, or of unrighteousness, I'm sorry. He, he's actually talking about it, he uses the word cosmos. It's like this big, uh, almost unma- unmanageable thing. It's just, it's so vast in its, its capability. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members. It's like a part of us, but it has this power to stain all of us, the whole body. It says it, it sets the entire course of, of life on fire. And it's set on fire by hell itself. Uh, our adversary loves to use our words. He loves to shut off our brains so that there's no filter and things just fly out. He loves that. He can make all kinds of nasty stuff happen if he can get us to stop thinking before we speak. And, and did you see that one phrase there where it says it sets on fire the entire course of our life? See if this isn't true. If you've ever told one lie in the present, that usually is going to precede many other lies that are going to be used to cover up this lie. So as you walk through the course of your life, next day, next day, next week, next month, and you persist in the lies, that initial lie sets fire to the future of your life. That initial pattern of speaking and anger shapes every argument and conversation that you have with your spouse from there forward. And listen, can we get, I'll get over this thing where it's just, well, that's just how I am. I'm verbal. I'm just hyperverbal, Mark. It's how my parents were. It's how I am. Okay, look at me. Everybody lean in. Here we go, lean in moment. Is anybody leaning? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not how you are anymore. This whole default setting that you think you have, it's just how you are. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus, how you are ceased to be, or at least it ceased to be in control of you. You don't have to be now who you were before Christ. In fact, if you've read the Bible, uh, the scriptures uh, teach quite clearly that that is not the end goal of the Christian life, to stay the same, to stay who we were before Jesus. Uh, he wants this new life. Uh, to be who we are, for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove of his will, the good stuff. That counts for our words, too. He wants us, God wants us to be free from the the, the words that could ruin our lives. He says in verse 7, every kind of beast and bird, uh, all the reptiles and sea creatures, they can be tamed by men and have been tamed by men, Right? Go to the zoos, uh, go over to SeaWorld. They'll, they'll get dolphins jumping out for fish all over the place over there, right? We can tame all the biggest animals that God put on the earth, but this is what he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Except for Jesus, no one's been perfect, bad a thousand, in, in, in shaping their words. It's a restless evil. What a, what, a, mm, what a challenging phrase there. It's restless. That means your tongue is just mm, ready. 
I, I want to mess you up. Come on, I'm your tongue. Let me just say something. Just let me say something. Please let me say something. And it's full of deadly poison. You know, we can look at this in the same way that we do with blessing. We can work, look at all the words that basically preceded some of the greatest atrocities that the world has ever seen. Heard of this guy, Hitler? Yeah, he came on the scene in, in Germany in a time where uh, they were just ripe for a madman. They had just been humiliated in the First World War. Uh, the economy was tanking and, and nationalism was at an all-time low and Hitler came in and uh, he had a lot of other crazy ideas but he basically pumped up the populace, made them believe in themselves again to the point where uh, as he stood in front of crowd after crowd and uh, in his you know, bullying tactics and in his powerful rhetoric, he, he shaped a nation uh, in, into heading into war, world conquest, uh, genocide. And everybody just kind of said, yeah, that's what we'll do, I guess. That's what he said. And off they went. But, you know, if you move away from the historical uh, ruin that has come from words, you can see it in your own life. I can see it in mine. You know, uh, many of us are adults now, and uh, we grew up hearing uh, some negative messaging, maybe from a parent, uh, a sibling. They told us that we were dumb that will never amount to anything, useless. And even though we were told as kids, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names can never hurt you. You're rubber, I'm glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me, sticks to you. That's not worth the paper it was written on, right? Because those things did stick to us. And those words did hurt. And some of us are still replaying the tape of the disapproval of our childhood. And you know the funky thing? Is that those words that affected ourselves and our self-esteem, they come out of us in the relationships that we have now with our kids, with our spouses, and they affect those relationships because we've never dealt with them in our own lives. My dad was a, I love my dad. Uh, he's been gone four years now. Um, I remember many things fondly. Uh, but uh, he, he was a real buttoned-up guy. I am a reaction to my father. He was very uh, image-conscious. He was a, an associate pastor in small, angry Baptist churches. And so uh, our family kind of grew up in the fishbowl, and we had to look a certain way and act a certain way uh, so that he looked good. And uh, I was wearing a, a three-piece suit when I was eight, I was like one of the only eight-year-olds I've ever known to consistently on a weekly basis be poured into a straitjacket with a vest and, uh, and, and made to go to a, a church place where the rest of the kids, by the way, were running around, you know, sweating their brains out, and I couldn't get my suit dirty. And, you know, heaven help me if I ever put something, you know, uh, through the knee of that thing. Um... My dad would come in after I was done uh, cleaning my room. He'd ask us to clean our rooms every week, and I'd do my best to please him to clean the room, and then he'd come in and, you know, clean it again. Finally, I got to the point, I was like, bug it. He's going to do it anyway. Mm, here you go. That's how it worked. And so I've become a very, um, well, maybe too relaxed in, uh, in, in, in my approach to appearances. But you know what, even as relaxed as I am, that same uh, messaging 
has come out from time to time in my life. My daughter was 18 months old. I was out in the garage one night with her as I was working at the tool bench. Uh, she tripped over one of the uneven parts of our garage floor and fell face first into the radio flyer red wagon that was in the corner. She took her only two teeth and she put them through her bottom lip and she just started bleeding profusely. Uh, I turned around you know, at the sound of her cry and saw all the blood and instinctively she ran to me and I ran to her and I grabbed my little girl around the waist, but guess what? I had just come from a church service and I was wearing my Sunday best. And I held my little girl out in front of me so that I wouldn't get any on my shirt. Eleanor came out after she heard the noise and she said something to the effect of old hugger. And that, that is the only time that it occurred to me, oh yeah, it's just a shirt. And I brought my little girl in and she ruined my Sunday best. But I'd give anything to erase that 15 seconds with my little girl flailing just to be comforted by her dad and me holding her out so that I wouldn't get blood on my shirt. Really? Words have power. All you parents out there who've been uncareful with your kids, tonight might be a good night to say I'm sorry. A good night to hit some reset buttons. Because whatever, you, whatever your funk is, don't pass it on to them. By God's grace, we need to do this better. It can happen even when, you know, you're just kind of walking along and, and you're just joking with, you know, some friends and all of a sudden someone gets close enough to be in the circle of jokes like happened with this one guy. He'll remain nameless. This has nothing to do with me. But uh, uh, this one guy in college who saw a girl walk up to the lunch line and, and made an offhanded joke about her appearance, she heard it. And as his friends and he were laughing, this is about me if you weren't picking that up, as his friends and, and he were laughing, uh, this, this girl ran out of the, uh, the building that the cafeteria was in, uh, devastated. It came back to, uh, to the, the, the guy's attention uh, that his words had, had wounded this young lady that he didn't even know. And uh, I was a Christian at the time, just barely, and the Holy Spirit started working on my heart. And I was like, i got to find this girl. So I did. I, I saw her walking in the quad, and I went up to her, and I, I said, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think you'd hear. I had all these lame excuses. And all, you know what she did? She just looked at me and says, how could you possibly say something like that about someone you don't even know? And I had nothing. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I thought everybody else would think I was funny and it would raise my collateral with these new friends that I had my first year of college. I don't know. But it just tumbled out of my face. So, <clears throat> our words can set our world on fire. Can we, can we be careful to choose our words then? Let's choose our words wisely. James says this, he says, uh, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father and with our tongues we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Uh, that's happened to me on a Sunday. Came to church and sang all the songs and by the time I was, you know, at Clay Avenue down there waiting for traffic to move and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the one person in front of me kept letting all the people on the side streets go ahead of him, right? Because what is he doing? Doesn't he understand? 
I went from blessing to cursing, and it came out of the same place. James says, how is that possible? Look what he says, verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing? There might as well be a question mark there. He's like, seriously? This is possible? He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Then he just starts rattling off some stuff because he's mad now. Does a spring pour forth the same opening or from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Answer, no. And we're all grateful, those of us who drink Zephyr Hills, that Zephyr Hills has figured out the salt thing and it tastes okay now, right? He, he, he goes on, he says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Answer, no, you're going to be getting figs from that thing. He says, can a grapevine produce figs? No, that's where the grapes come from. He says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And then I think he just got mad and threw his pen. Because <laughs> he's done talking about the tongue. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, if you don't get it, you're just not going to get it. But this stuff matters. It's not supposed to work this way. God gave you all that you are and all that you have to glorify him. And if you're willing to just take what he gave you with your words and your communication and just defy him and defile him, I mean... You just don't get it. That's not how it's supposed to work. And no amount of joking or excusing, it's just, it's just not how it's supposed to work. He's basically saying what Paul says in Ephesians 4, when Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That, that's what your mouths are for. That's what my mouth's for to bring grace to those who hear. So how's it going? How's it going with your words? How's it going with your texts? By the way, if you're in a relationship that sometimes conflicts, please don't have those conflicts with texts. Can you please at least do me that one favor? Texts are terrible. It doesn't matter how many emojis you use, you still can't convey what you're trying to say. What's going on with your communication? Here's the three things I want you to do this week as we leave. First of all, try to say less. Somebody like Mark, no problem. I don't talk at all. That's not my point. I'm saying when you do talk, try to say less. Be calculated. Another way of saying it is this. Uh, try to say things well. Some of you, it's just, you know, literally just saying less. Like, like just because it comes here, doesn't mean it has to come out here. But, but if that's not a problem for you, if you say a few things, say those few things well. But learn to put grace in your communication. If you're gonna, listen, and let's be honest, sometimes communication is hard. Communication, sometimes you have to say the hard things. But what does the Bible say about those things? Speak the truth in love. Say things in a loving way. If you start a conversation like this, you know what you need to change? It's just not going to go well. Even if those things that you're going to say need to change truly do need to change. It's not going to be heard. Husbands or wives who start that way. Instead, season your speech with grace. Start with love. I always teach you to, 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 to make the sandwich. Kindness, gentleness. Say kind, the kinds of things that would open a heart to the hard things that you have to say. And then after you say those hard things, hit them with more kindness and love and, and offer to be a part of the solution somehow. But don't just start with stark, you need to change this. 
and expect anything to happen. It's just not how this is supposed to work. This is the last thing. Ask God each day to control your words. Hopefully the first conversation every one of us have, if we're following Jesus Christ, is with him in the morning when we wake up. Good morning, God. How's it going? Uh, Give us this day our daily bread, whatever you pray there. But in that prayer, ask God on this day, Lord, I got to go to work today, and it's going to be really hard for me not to say the things I want to say to the people I work with or those who work for me or those who I work for. Help me to say those things in a way that would glorify and honor you and bring the best in my life. I've got to wake up today, God, and go be married to this person again. (laughs) Would you grant me the grace, even if they don't bring the same, would you grant me the grace to say the things to him or to her that would produce love in our relationship? Help me to guard my words so I can honor my spouse. Hey, Lord, I think those kids are still sleeping in this house, and i got to parent them again today. Would you grant me and them the grace to communicate well and to say things that, that need to be said in love so that we can have the very best of you in our family? Last verse, and then I'll pray. Jesus said this in the book of Luke. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, the, of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart is what? That's how we can tell what's going on in here. And so if your mouth has been given over to taunting and bragging and lying and slander and angry words, guess what's going on in here? Jesus isn't running stuff in here. But if your mouth is given over to grace and encouragement and love and truth, well, then that's an indication that Jesus is running a shop in here. And that's my prayer for all of us. Can I pray? God, thanks so much for your word today and for a chance to open it together. And when it comes to our mouths, Lord, would you, would, you, would you govern what comes out of them? Would you lead us in the things that we say so that you get the glory you deserve, so that we can have the best life that we can possibly have, so that we can look more like you uh, as we submit our tongues and our words uh, to your ways. Uh, lead us to your best God in life but especially in our communication, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll be over in the corner if you want to talk.